Welcome to Love Amped, an exploration of healing others through healing ourselves. Check out loveamped.com for additional resources and support. Hello friends and welcome to Love Amped. I'm your host Seth Pearson and this week we're going to be talking with Dan Frank about his struggles with emptiness, suicide attempts, and maintaining lasting friendships. Now if you know anyone struggling in these areas, please encourage them to get help. And with that, let's dive into the episode. Dan Frank, uh, a friend and fellow improviser. Yes. Um, to hey. give us an intro of yourself again. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Dan Frank. I'm 29. I do improv. I do stand-up. I have depression. I have anxiety. And I'm still kind of working through it. Yeah. Wow. So tell us um, like kind of your story through self-love. So I first discovered that I needed to love myself when I was about 21, 22. My first hospitalization trip to suicide, well, because of suicide, I... Uh, really realized I needed to take care of myself in order to take care of other people. And, you know, family is really important to me. So when I kind of realized I needed to take care of my family and in order to support them, I had to support myself. Mm-hmm. And I still have a hard time today, but I just need to kind of put that in my forefront and just kind of make it a thing. Yeah. Who, who were you trying to support your family, you said? Yeah. Well, so my dad growing up was a really hard person to deal with. And at that time, I also realized that you can't change someone. You can only change how you deal with them mm-hmm. and just hope that they can learn and grow. Or if they don't, then you can just at least have ways to deal with it. I see. And um, uh, leading up to these suicide attempts, like what were these other ways of self-harm that you would go through before this? Uh, I, I mostly just cut myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other thing was I was really good at having people reject me. Um, I have this funny saying I call, I used to say I'm addicted to feeling like shit because it's one of those things like cutting yourself and feeling like shit are two things that anybody can relate to and that you can actually hold on to. And you can actually like be like in sync with those feelings and you can really understand those feelings. So younger I used to get people to reject me and that was another high. So wait, tell me about this. Like, yeah. you would get people to reject you. You would yeah. bring them into your life and then do things so yeah. that they could reject you. Yeah. So, imagine being in high school and being that weird kid, and not having any friends. So I would find a reason to get people not to like me even more, just by whatever, just by being strange, by being too loud, by being too talkative. Yeah just talking about serial killers just Mm -hmm. not like normal things wow like and when did you first like realize that you enjoyed that process i think i was probably like 16 or 17 when i kind of kind of put my hand on it i said this is kind of unacceptable but again this is something that i kind of can enjoy and i can actually feel it so maybe i should like not do it so much Mm mm-hmm so it was just the combination of that and self-harm, just cutting myself. It was yeah. just two things that really kept me kind of going. Now, with again, with the rejection, um, why would that 
evoke feelings. Why well, do you think that would actually give a response well, to Well, I yourself? think it's just because when you're so alone, you want a validation for your existence. Oh, okay. So when you have someone reject you, it kind of rejects your validation of living. It kind of gives mm-hmm. you an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like, this is why I'm feeling this way. This is why I'm sad. This is why I'm this. This is why I'm that. Mm-hmm. It's because this person doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what it turned into. Wow, that's like a, t- a true vicious cycle. That It is, and it never ends because you... You know, you want to feel terrible, so then you feel mm-hmm. terrible, and then it mm-hmm. actually makes you feel terrible, mm-hmm. and it just never ends. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, emptiness earlier, and yeah. like feeling that you would used to stay up super late, yep, just because you just didn't feel anything, yeah, and that's why like what led you to cutting. And you yeah, even mentioned, that... tell us about your tattoo. Again. Yeah, so I have a tattoo on my my wrist. It's number fifty seven. That's how many self-inflicted scars I have on both of my wrists. And it's kind of to honor how dark my life was and how much better I am now today. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of interesting that a lot of people have no idea that I carry this this heavy weight on my back. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, is that your football number? Or is that like the year you're born? Or Mm -hmm. Nope. But you can't talk about that with people because mental Mm -hmm. illness is still a stigma. Yeah. It's still not something we can really talk about openly. And, but once you kind of realize that a lot of people go through this, you yeah. said 80%. Like, is it 80%? Some... There has to be some statistic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could probably Google in three seconds and mm-hmm. find out. But I'm, a lot of people have yeah. mental illness. And yeah. I don't know if it's the culture we grow up in. I don't know if it's the environment. I don't know if it's all the high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> Potentially. How do you think we get to these people that, like, don't realize that, oh, we're all in this together, and thus, like, you're okay, too? I think just learning how to, what really helped for me was mindfulness, and just really being able to close your eyes, and really think, like, if you are truly alone, and mm-hmm. oftentimes you're not. Oftentimes people have good support groups, oftentimes mm-hmm. people have family that love them, mm-hmm. oftentimes there are a lot of people, like, even coworkers sometimes give a shit about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have to just kind of think about it logically because you can just stumble through life grasping around in the darkness, but you can't really, uh, you know, there's always hands out there to mm-hmm. help you. Exactly. And so what do you do nowadays to like, as um, like to uh, reaffirm self-support? and? It's still a, a daily struggle for me. Um, I'm forcing myself to go out and be more social, even though I don't really like it mm-hmm. but I still have fun and I'm kind of realizing that doing something physical like going out doing improv is something I can hold on to mm-hmm. um, when I was a lot younger I never knew I could like do improv theater and do stand-up comedy and have that be something I can hold on to because that was something that was never an option for me I did mm-hmm. theater in high school but I never did it to a point where I'm like this can be my thing mm-hmm but if I did, maybe that could have changed how many scars I have. Maybe that could have changed mm, yeah. things. I don't know. Because, again, you just get told that people just cut themselves. And you're like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe yeah. I should do that, too. Yeah. People don't talk about, oh, you can also, like, go on a hike. You can go running. Mm-hmm. You can get up on stage and be silly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just getting out there and just exploring life. <laughs> exploring much. life yeah <laughs> but you don't do that you don't do that when you're 14 nobody tells you 
Yeah. They just tell you, go to school. Exactly. And then you have to get home and do your homework. What do you think would have helped you at 14? You know, I think just... I don't know what could have helped me at 14. If, if there was... You know, I'm really not sure because it's such a complicated thing. Because I'd want to... Like, if I was somehow a time traveler, and I was sent back in time to when I was 14, I wouldn't believe myself. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean... I think just going to therapy and just doing it, just participate in life Mm -hmm. as much as you hate it. Yeah. I think that would have helped. Yeah. Have you gone to therapy? Yeah, I'm still in therapy. Um... When I finished, I finished a course of electroconvulsive shock therapy in December of 2017. Whoa. And I started doing therapy in January. Okay. Wait, tell us about shock therapy. Uh, yeah, they strapped me down and they shocked my brain. Wow. Yeah. I've heard of this before, yeah. but I don't know. I've, I, you're the first person I met that have done, has done it. Yeah, it's, um, it's not a conventional method, but mm-hmm. I've done enough research. I've done enough homework on it that I felt like it was an appropriate thing to do. I mean, I've been uh, probably, I've been on medications, I've been on at least 40 different medications, I've done every therapy under the sun, mm-hmm. you know, I've taken medications for countless other things, I mean, yeah. I've gotten brain scans, I've gotten wow. my gene, genetics tested, I've gotten mm-hmm. everything. So I was like, fuck it, like, it's 2017. <laughs> Let's just get my brain shocked. <laughs> yeah. You noticed anything? Um, I think I noticed like a minimal, minimal difference. Like okay. nothing, nothing like concrete. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is that it's supposed to like restart your brain like a computer, like hard restart your brain. And I don't really feel like it did necessarily, but it's definitely an experience. I see. Man. Um... Are you on any medications right now? Yeah. What? Which ones? So I've been on Cymbalta for 10 years, duloxetine. Uh, I started that when I was hospitalized. Um, for the first time I started that. And now I'm currently taking a medication I'm not a huge fan of called Latuda. But again, you have to go through this process where they start you at 20 milligrams, and you start you at 40, and then they start you mm. at 60, then you take 80. And that's the therapeutic dose, and you have to take mm. that for a month. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go to the doctor and say, this isn't working, and says, like, well, what about this drug? So then Whoa. you have to go start at 20 milligrams, and you have to start at 40 milligrams, 60, so on and so forth. So that's what, that's actually what I've been doing my whole life. Wow. Is trying to find. Testing. Yeah. I am a human guinea pig. I have been on lots of drugs. Have you done psychedelics or have you been? I. The only psychedelics I've ever done was mushrooms. Okay. Um, I had, like, a 90% positive experience on mushrooms. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's just coming down was not really fun. Mm -hmm. But I think if I was in a safer space, and if I knew what I knew... If I knew what I know now about me coming down off of mushrooms, Mm -hmm. I probably could handle it a lot better. Gotcha. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just... You don't know how your body will process and handle the drugs mm-hmm. so i'm definitely i'm probably gonna try mdma on my birthday mm-hmm. my birthday is on august 2nd so it's coming up wow that is coming up yeah and i it's can't just, wait yeah i can't wait either it's just one of those things again i mean i've tried 
everything. I've tried everything mm-hmm. to feel better. Mm-hmm. So at this point, why not do MDMA? Yeah. To what's up? And I feel like everybody you've had on your podcast has had good experience with MDMA. Um, let's see. Who do we got? Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Everyone has. <laughs> I know we haven't talked about it yet on the podcast. We're just kind of smoothly going into it. Um, yeah, you should just rename this into like the MDMA podcast <laughs> or something. Dude, at one point, that was part of the, part of the thought process. <laughs> Big old advocacy here. Um, yeah. Um, like going back, also leading... Like, why in those moments of, like, the suicide attempts, like, what was it that would, like, trigger them? It's just, I just wanted to stop being in pain. I just wanted to stop dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, like, how many, I, th- I think I've up to, like, six or seven suicide attempts. A couple of them were on purpose and a couple of them were accidental. Um, the ones on purpose were, like, a clear intent to, like, end my life and it just didn't really work out too well. And then accidentally, you just take, like, 60 pills, and then you take a nap, and then you wake up, Holy like, crap. 20 hours later. Yeah. And then you're like, shit, that was a terrible idea. Yeah. But, of course, you don't think about that when you get, like, this huge darkness in your head. You don't really mm-hmm. think clearly about what could happen. Mm-hmm. You're just like, fuck, I'm just going to take 20 pills and then see what happens. Yeah. So those were what I call accidental. Um, the more serious ones, I mean... I have a scar on my wrist, uh, right below my tattoo, mm-hmm. that um, I cut myself way too deep, and I ended up, like, just blood just started coming. I just had to, like, take toilet paper and just, like, stuff it into my arm, and then I just passed out. And then from wow. that point on, I'm like, I, that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Because even though a part of me does want to die, a part of me also understands that I need to live, Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's still kind of confusing. Yeah. Is that, like, um, living, is that part of more of an existential crisis or just truly yourself? Like, uh, I think it is kind of like a... So I think it's a mixture of both. Um, because when you're younger, you know, you're told that you're smart and that you can be anything, so you dream that you'd be an astronaut. And then you're like 25 and you're not an astronaut and you're like, well, I just <laughs> fucked everything up. I mean, so I'm not an astronaut and <laughs> I'm kind of just coming to terms with mediocrity. Mm. And I think that's a lot of, that's a lot of hard, it's really hard for people to kind of come to terms with. Is that yeah. It's okay to just be average. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm still kind of learning that it's just, it's okay. I don't have yeah. to be an astronaut. Yeah. There's these expectations yeah. imposed. Um, and also have to understand that, like, how you're, um, like, what situation you're born into, yeah. um, just where you're living, and, like, how is society going right now? Like, there's so many factors there's that so many that are, factors. you know, sometimes working for you, but also working against you. Yeah. And so you have to, that has to all be factored in into um, what's going on, and also just remembering that you are, you are... <laughs> just you you are doing your your thing your path exactly Um, and you can't you can't judge yourself for that you really you really can't and you shouldn't Mm -hmm. because you are going to judge yourself because you're your own worst critic Mm -hmm. but you have to understand that it's okay wherever you are in life is where you need to be Mm -hmm. as long as you just put one foot in front of the other any kind of forward momentum is good 
Exactly. It doesn't matter if it just involves getting up out of bed. That's still good. For me, that was the best I could do for many years. Wow. Was just getting out of bed. Yeah. And now I've kind of elevated myself to become, go beyond that. Yeah, exactly. You just keep building on top you of just that. Keep building. Yeah. Um, are there any other things? Because I know you have to. Uh, we got 7.33. What time you got to go? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe in a couple minutes. Okay, cool. Is there, are there any other thoughts um, that you would like give to someone that's having a hard time loving themselves? So that basically that 14-year-old version yeah, of yourself or even the 21 version, you know? Yeah, even the 29-year-old version the of myself. 20, yeah. you know, if I could tell myself something yesterday, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's so hard because I'm just trying to balance this whole... I have these constant suicidal thoughts. I have this constant negative voices inside my head. But I have to really understand that it's it's not really right, I guess. I don't know if right's the correct word. Mm. But I don't know if it's like the logical thing. Because you have to kind of force yourself. It's mm-hmm. like the whole fake it till you make it. Yes. But then once you've made it, you got to still fake it. <laughs> so it's like yeah. fake it until you just die, I guess. <laughs> Dude, sometimes confidence can feel that way. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like... um, And again, you know, I've been on medication, so it's just like I'm just, I'm taking these medications until something happens. Right. And so, don't give up. Mm -hmm. Just keep going. Just keep freaking going. Wow. Just keep going. Don't stop moving. That's amazing. Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast, even with this sliver of time, like, that we have created for this. Like, everyone's got these busy freaking lives. This is awesome. I know. You come up for, like, 20 minutes. You probably (laughs) drove, like, nine hours to get here. (laughs) I drove drove nine and a half hours to get here, guys. No, I did. I did. I drove here. It's about about 45 minutes. It was great. But (laughs) seriously, being this open and sharing so much, this is going to help someone. I really think that's how it should be, is that we shouldn't be ashamed of what we're dealing with because we're all the thought that i had today i had a homeless guy yell at me and i, was, I really want to yell at him back i'm just said we're all humans on this planet mm-hmm. this planet's a horrible place you know mm-hmm. it's gonna be overpopulated it's gonna be polluted there's garbage mm-hmm. patches mm-hmm. we're all just humans on this miserable planet and we got to work together yeah you know we're all miserable but we got to do it together got to do it together help each other grow <laughs> yeah. and it's all good Especially when we have each other. Especially when we have each other. Man, it's so good. Dan, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Till next time. Oh my gosh, we're back for part two. We're just, we're giving a ride uh, to Dan here. Hey. Uh, And yeah, because we're going to get this boy to improv. Yeah, I have to, um, and this is kind of my... Continuation of feeling better is um, doing improv, making people laugh. Yeah. And getting those feelings, thoughts, pheromones, mm-hmm. all that science stuff. Head south on 33rd Avenue Northeast. <laughs> and we're joined by Siri. There she is. Okay, don't worry. She is not muted. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just. Um, since this has just been a thing that's always been in my life, I just feel like I can talk about this for hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This is going to be the car car edition. Did you ever um, have other friends that 
like were also in a, a similar boat at any point? So that brings to mind when I was in high school, I had a counselor who didn't know how to deal with my mood issues. So his best thing to think of was to pair me with someone else who was depressed. Ooh. Okay. D- did that help? No, it didn't help at all. Like, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well, no. it's just one of those things. Like, I don't know what to do. I know someone else who's depressed. I don't know what to do with. Let's pair them together, and then maybe they can figure it out. But hmm. you can't have two people fumbling around in the dark, you know, to build something. You need a guiding hand mm-hmm. for therapy. You need someone who knows what to do for the therapeutic process to work. Yeah. I mean, I've done group counseling. I was led by an actual, like, therapist, which was very helpful. Uh-huh. But not just being, like, paired with someone. You're sad. This person's sad. It's like a bunch... It's just a, just a little duo of sad friends. Yeah, it's a, it's a really awful feedback loop. Yeah. Uh, she ended up being pretty cool. Uh, we were friends a little bit, but it didn't really work out in terms of therapy reasons yeah um like how has this um and we haven't talked about this really on the podcast yet but like how has this worked into like free love and open relationships for you has that you know it's it's one of those other funny things because i am polyamorous uh so i am married to Lacey, and i have a girlfriend currently named jody and having depression is a blessing and a curse because it numbs my feelings so I don't get jealous and I don't have all these extra baggage kind of emotions but the downside to all that is is that I don't feel quite what the partners in my life are feeling and that's really frustrating Mm -hmm. because I would trade for a day to be able to feel what one of my partners is feeling but it just doesn't work out like that. Wow. And I think since I've kind of... When I was younger, I didn't really have a lot of opportunities for love because I didn't love myself. So I was alone a lot of the time, and now I'm kind of enjoying love, I guess. Mm -hmm. Did you have um, very loving parents? Yeah. I have, my mom's pretty cool. My mom is awesome. I could probably call my mom right now and be like, hey, mom, you know, I'm polyamorous. I've been to orgies. And she'd be like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> like, she'd be totally fine with it. Um, my dad, on the other hand, he's a little bit complicated. He keeps his emotions carefully guarded. Uh, he doesn't like to share things very often. He just thinks that there's only, like, one path in life and you should just follow it. Mm. And he's a very, like, 1950s leave-it-to-beaver kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the man should stay at home and the wife... I mean, not the man. The wife should stay at home and, you know, cook and clean and make babies. And the guy should put on a suit and go work for, like, an ad agency or, mm-hmm. or a car salesman. Yeah. So growing up with that with my dad was very complicated. And I think that's really fed into a lot of what I still kind of struggle with. Mm. As from my dad and how he treated me just environmentally. It was nothing like physical. It was just a lot of just emotional and mental confusion. Yeah. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And would you, um, 
notice that these um, mental confusions, part of like growing up, uh, when did you realize that that was happening and that that was the source of it yeah. as well? It's so funny because I don't know if you're familiar with gaslighting. Oh man, that's a word I've heard before, but I forgot it. What is it? So it's convincing someone of like little lies. So say you have like a collection of apples at home and someone just comes in your house and just takes an apple and then you're like, oh, you're, you, that apple, you already eat that one. You already ate that one. That one's not there. So just these little kind of things, these half oh, little truths kind of sprinkled about. So going up with my dad, it's kind of similar to that, how I didn't know any better. That was just who he was. That was his behavior. Yeah. And so it wasn't until, again, my first hospitalization trip when we actually had a one-on-one counseling point and the therapist said, like, you guys need to work your shit out. You guys need to just talk to each oh, other. Oh, wow. They would just say that. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, oh. it's kind of what it came down to. Uh-huh. Because I talked a lot about my dad because he was very hard to deal with. Yeah. And so that's kind of what it what boiled down to. It's just me and him had this confrontation he didn't know how to deal with it and I just realized that's just my dad and growing up that's just my dad and that's just how he is and he's a cool guy now and now I know how to like deal with him and me and him have a lot of fun that's great but 10 years ago I was just so confusing wow and did you um hang out with your grandpa that much or know much about no I don't really I don't really have any grandparents per se I only have one grandpa I don't hang out with him very often, but he's one of those 80-year-old guys that's more fit than I am. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, he built houses, and he goes to Italy, and, you know, he runs marathons. You know, one of those kind of grandpas. Nice. This is a very... That's a very cool grandpa. That's a very cool grandpa, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, when you would go into therapy, what were some of the aha moments like within the sessions themselves you know I can't really think when I was like 16 when I was because I did therapy for about 3 or 4 years when I was a teenager um, but I've had a couple of those kind of aha moments in therapy currently I've been in therapy since January uh-huh. and I've had some moments like that where like the biggest one I'm still kind of struggling with is that I always thought fun was an emotion that you're supposed to have but I actually looked at the definition of fun, and it's actually not an emotion. So, for the longest time, I've been telling myself, I've never had any fun. But then once you look at it on paper, I've had fun. I, I can say it. Yeah. And it took having to go, go to counseling to learn that. Wow. I thought fun was something like you, like you, you know, you get sad, you uh-huh. get happy, you get fun. <laughs> you get fun. <laughs> I just I like that. <laughs> I don't know how, to, how else to put it, but that's just kind of how it was. Uh-huh. And so for the longest time, oh, I never had fun. I can't have fun because I don't feel fun. Uh-huh. But fun isn't a, isn't a feeling. It's a state. It's an activity. Yeah. So the thing is, I can have fun. I just don't feel happy or pleasure really doing it. But I yeah. still have fun. Yeah. And, and knowing that kind of reinforces, like... To keep having fun. Yeah, exactly. To keep seeking out fun. So it kind of makes it okay because 
for the longest time, I'm like, why am I doing improv if I'm not feeling fun? Mm, yeah. But then I'm like, I'm having fun. <laughs> it's so just stuff like that. And, you know, again, I'm 29. I just realized this. Mm. I'm sure those kids who are like eight years old who probably know this. <laughs> and that's something that happens is we assume that everyone else has everything else figured, figured out. out. Yeah. But we don't. We don't have anything figured out, and we're we all learn something. It's like, would you? Do you ever have the moment that you realize like a doctor doesn't know yeah. something, and you're just like, oh, but I thought doctors knew everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see a doctor every couple of months. I mean, I have a primary care doctor. I have a psychiatrist. I have a endocrinologist. I have a sleep doctor, and just. Talking to these different doctors my whole life makes me realize I have to be an advocate for myself. Yeah, right. Like, I have to advocate that, that no, this is my body. This is what is happening. This is my truth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of doctors don't really see that. They just see medication or drugs, and then they just try to send you on your way. Exactly. And, and, and you know, like, a lot of these doctors have never tried what they are prescribing you. No, exactly. They're just like, well, in school and the studies, uh, which and is fine. Studies. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that it just seems like it's pretty easy to get some of these like prescriptions for things that it really is. Sometimes they're just generally they don't know for sure like what's gonna work. Yeah, and that can be very dangerous. I had a conversation with my primary care doctor a couple months ago. She, I was trying to explain to her how I sleep, and. Like, I was trying to gauge her level of normal. So I was asking, like, what does it feel like when you wake up from sleep? Do you feel tired? Do you feel this and that? And me and her actually had a conversation about what normal sleep, with air quotes, looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's totally different. Because I have a hard time sleeping, but apparently she doesn't. And so, just putting things in perspective for her. Yeah. To see how hard of a struggle it is for me. Yeah. And when, because you guys both uh, deal with this, but it seems like um, you have a little bit um, more trouble, like, in feeling with the emptiness um, in general, so it kind of is more affecting to her. Like, how does, how does that change the dynamic of the relationship? With my doctor and me? Um, Oh, well, you and, like, Lacey. Oh, yeah. But also, like, (laughs) like, communicating to your doctor, like... I think... Just relationship-wise, my wife and I, it's just about honesty. Mm-hmm. And I always strive to be 99.9% honest with her mm. because I sometimes am hard to read emotionally or physically. So I have to just tell her, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel this. You know, or like when you do this behavior, it makes me really confused or it makes me kind of angry or it makes me just like empty yeah oh, so it's kind of hard to convey that mm-hmm. so that's why I always just tell people everything because it's a lot easier that way <laughs> yeah you don't have to think about it as much yeah it's since you know you talked about free love and all that stuff and since I've been polyamorous it's been a lot easier in my life to be 99.9% honest mm-hmm. it's been way easier because you don't have anything to hide Mm-hmm. You just exactly. tell people. You just tell people your life and just talk openly about it. Wow! And how um, being 
in free love has that ever hurt anyone like you know but had relationships uh with people like even just friendships where like you've been like oh yeah by the way i'm like polyamorous and then has someone been like turned off from you or like closed-minded no at you towards it no the only people that have ever been closed-minded are people i meet on tinder or okcupid or wherever i just because again i'm just so honest i'm just saying yeah hey i have a wife i have a girlfriend are you still interested in hanging out mm-hmm. and then they're just like oh i can't believe you would do that and like why would you do that <laughs> why would you do that it's like what am i doing <laughs> what am i doing wrong is is having a life and enjoying it wrong yeah oh, interesting it's really interesting I've, I've never um heard about like specifically like certain apps where like people are like close-minded but like in like um one-on-one life that people are like yeah i think it's just because of the communities i'm involved in mm-hmm. um i go to kink munches i go to poly munches like i hang out with weird people <laughs> so being weird is normal yeah wow. so i'm sure if i hung out with like my dad or i mean even with my brother my brother is 10 years older than me mm-hmm. and he just thinks my lifestyle is all about like getting laid I'm like, that's so far from it. There's so much more mm-hmm. than getting laid. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, usually where people go to right at the beginning, isn't that? Yeah, but they don't want to hear about the boring stuff. They don't want to hear about, oh, we all went out to sushi. Or like, you know. Yeah. We all just fixed her TV. Yeah, Nobody yeah. wants to hear that. No. They just Because they don't believe it. They don't believe it. They just think that you're doing some crazy, like, just crazy things. I go into orgies every day. <laughs> but it's not like that. It really yeah. isn't. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I want to... Man, that's another topic. Man, episode... <laughs> I can't wait for part two. It's going to be great. Like, a part... part th- it's going to be a part three sometime. Part three sometime. Dude. Where we there's talk about... This, usually well, at the end of all of these episodes, I'm just like, gosh, there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> but, like, yeah. Oh, just for now, we have to... You, you, you got to do some improv. Man. I got to do some improv. I'm sorry. I'd love to talk more. <laughs> that's that's great, dude. I think thanks for even having the part two in the car. Yeah, this thank you wonderful. for taking me. And um, thanks for sharing. And holy crap, that was incredible. Thank you for being so open in that episode, Dan. Just really inspiring to talk about these things um, and see what people have been going through. Also, he mentioned he's going to possibly try MDMA at some point. Uh, Not recommended to do that while you are taking SSRIs that can be harmful for your brain and lessen the effect of the substance itself. Um, So just keep that in mind. Want to make sure everyone's uh, doing everything in the most healthy way out there. So also uh, check us out on Twitter, uh, Seth underscore Pearson. Just going to be posting more on there. Loveamp.com for more info on self-love and getting in contact with me uh, about uh, the Love Amp experience. I know I haven't talked about that too much on the show yet, but I'll talk about it more and more um, as time goes on. Uh, So yeah, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode and love yourselves out there, everyone. This was Love Amped, a podcast by Seth Pearson. Check out loveamped.com for more info on today's topic.